0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, Merry Christmas. Well, that was that was like perfectly in unison. That was impressive. Were you practicing? Oh, my gosh. Welcome to the Midnight Mass this year at 10 o'clock, how about that? We're like in a time machine, okay. Friends, this is so good, it's so good to have the family together. I just want to say a word of welcome to anyone who's visiting. If you're visiting us from out of, I don't know, state, parish, country, raise your hand if you've got any visitors here tonight. Welcome some visitors, welcome, good to have you, thanks for being here. As Deacon Rich says all the time, you're welcome at any of our liturgies here at Sacred Heart of Jesus. Did I get that right? Is that how you say it? That's, yeah, that's your line. So each of the Christmas Masses kind of has their own different flavor, their own kind of different character, if you will. They kind of attract uh, a different clientele, right? The clientele, the folks who come to the 4 o'clock Mass, uh, those, that's definitely a different crowd for sure than, uh, than the 6.30, right? Then very different than the, this crowd, the, the diehards. You guys are the diehards. You are up late, right? Maybe you're still up because you, got, you drank too much coffee, you still got presents to wrap. I don't know, but here we are you are the diehards. Here you are at the 10 o'clock mass, and, uh, and I think that's really great. Because of that, because uh, because we're, you know, like, you're the serious crowd. You're the ones who are ready to go deep. At least that's my presumption. Here you are late 10 o'clock. You're like, Father, we just, I don't know why I'm here. I'm, I'm presuming, I'm presuming you're looking forward to, we're going to be, I'm going to be preaching till the eight o'clock mass starts. So, It's the mystery of the incarnation, I got a lot to say, but what I want to do, what I want to do tonight, I want to unpack, I want to take this a little bit deeper, um, and I want to unpack the staggering, incredible mystery that is the incarnation, the central event of our faith, it's the very thing that split time in two. How incredible is that? No other event in human history ever had the the force to cleave time in two, but Jesus' birth did. It's a pretty momentous thing. But before I talk about that mystery, I want to talk about another mystery. The mysterious popularity of Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) Because it baffles me. Like The secular culture, right? The secular culture, especially major marketing firms, they understand human nature honestly better than I think we in the church do at least in terms of their messaging, right? They understand that appealing to authority or appealing to reason won't sell a product as much as appealing to emotions, right? Pathos versus ethos or logos. It's an appeal to emotions. That's why Budweiser crafts, like, beer commercials that make us weep, right, at the Super Bowl. Remember the one with the Clydesdales and the Golden Retriever puppy? Remember that one? Yeah, you do. It's like, we're all still in therapy processing it. Like, it was so moving, Right? Or Gillette commercials or Dove commercials. By the end of the year, you're like, like crying, you're like, what are they selling? Soap, okay. <laughs> like it's so powerful. It's so, so, so powerful. The Hallmark Channel, the Hallmark Channel definitely gets this as well. Last year, I looked this up. Last year they said roughly 70 million people watched their Hallmark uh, Christmas movie scheduling block. That's a lot of people, and that's probably a lot of us in this church tonight. I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one, but they expect that the numbers this year are going to be higher than last year, and they are releasing this year, I couldn't believe this, but this is what they said, 40 new films this year. 40 4-0? 40? 40? They all have got the same plot, okay? It's the same actors, it's the same people in every single movie with the same plot, right? They've got the, the hot chick, lawyer girl coming from the big city to her hometown. She goes with her family to the Christmas tree farm and like there she meets the only single guy in town and he's super good looking and they start talking and then it's complicated because he's got a pass and she's got a pass, but somehow they work it out, right? And then the next mo- the next movie, an hour later, That Christmas tree farm guy, he's the school teacher, and that hot chick lawyer girl, she's the single mom who's just trying to piece her life together after her husband died, right? Like, it's the same. I feel like I'm losing my mind, right? It's the same plot in every single movie. Same same B-list cast of actors, right? You're going to see DJ Tanner in every single movie. Like, It's the same. It's the same. Okay. All right, so here's the question, right? Here's my question. Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Here's the question. Is Hallmark just simply hijacking Christmas to make money selling sappy romantic movies? or, Or are they tapping into something so real and so true and so profound like this intuition that Christmas and romance belong together. And I'm going to argue for us tonight at midnight mass at 10 o'clock that they are tapping into something very real. That their intuition that Christmas and romance go together is, is spot on. That there is no greater romance, there's no greater love story than Christmas itself. The wedding of things of heaven to those of earth, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, birthed in Jesus, given for us, right? The Word made flesh. There's a high, high, high romance being played out tonight. That's why we've lit all the candles and we've dimmed the lights, because something very powerful is being played out before us right now in our hearts and in reality, If you came to daily Mass earlier this week, the readings that the church gives in the the days leading up to Christmas, they have, all of them in different various ways, a nuptial character, spousal, a a wedding. You can hear wedding bells, if you will, in the background of these readings. In particular, on Tuesday, if you came to Mass on Tuesday, you heard a reading from the Song of Songs, which is not a reading that we tend to hear at Mass. It kind of gets moved around in the cycle song of songs it probably seemed very out of place but this is what you would have heard if you came to mass on tuesday hark my lover here he comes springing across the mountains leaping across the hills my lover is like a gazelle or a young stag here he stands behind our wall gazing through the windows peering through the lattices my lover speaks he says to me, Arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret recesses of the cliff, let me see you. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and you are lovely. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Song of Songs, it's the book in the very center of the Bible. And it is passionate, dripping love poetry right there in the center of the Bible it's the only book actually in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God and yet the Jewish rabbis in the ancient tradition they referred to the Song of Songs they said that all of Scripture is holy but the Song of Songs is the Holy of Holies it's the Holy of Holies this book that tells of the passionate love and longing Between the bridegroom and the bride, these rabbis, they said it's an allegory of God's love for Israel. In particular, it's an allegory of God's love for the soul. It's how our God relates to us. Or this reading from the four o'clock vigil mass today, from the book of the prophet Isaiah. You shall be a glorious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem held by your God. No more shall people call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. Do you hear what the church is trying to teach us? What the church is trying to say? like she's being a good mother she's trying to say pay attention this is the lens through which i want you to understand these mysteries these mysteries this great mystery the word wedding himself to human flesh so what is happening tonight what has ha- what has happened what what happened when christ was born his birth brought to birth pun intended his birth brought to birth what happened 9 months previously in mary's womb when God sent an angel to bend the knee before this young virgin of Nazareth with a proposal, like a bridegroom coming to a bride, saying, Will you let me in? And Mary, in her humility, in her receptivity, she opens herself so fully, the perfect bride opens herself so fully that she literally conceives divine life in her womb. Humanity and divinity were wedded, united together in her womb the church fathers called her womb the mystical bridal chamber where things of heaven are wed to those of earth this incredible union this incredible union god is drawing that close that in his person jesus is the coming together of that which would, that which had been separated that which had been alienated right all the way going back to the fall in genesis chapter 3 right you have Adam and Eve grasping at the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and that failure to trust the Lord, it resulted in this great rupture of relationship between Adam and Eve, between them and creation, but most especially between humanity and God. There was this great divorce that happened, but God in his great mercy, he didn't leave humanity in this state of, he didn't leave us bereft of his love, he came in mercy to the aid of humanity he launched this rescue mission. He launched this project called Israel by which he said, I will bring you back to myself. I will unite you to myself again. And he trained this people Israel to relate to him in trust and openness, right? He wanted to, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And Israel, the finest flower of Israel is Mary. She's the mystical rose. She is the blossoming of Israel's potentiality. What Israel was always meant to be, what Israel always could be, it becomes in her the bride, the bride who opens to receive. So who is this infant? The infant that's laid in the manger. We I mean, who are you? I know it seems obvious, it's Jesus, yes, but like, who is this baby who is bound and swaddled and crying and hungry? Who is this baby? He is God from God. He is light from light. He is true God from true God. He is the God of the covenant, the God of Israel, the maker and designer of the stars, the one who placed the rings of Saturn, the one who told Job in the Old Testament, Job, where were you when I told the ocean, this is how far you shall come and no farther? He's the one who speaks out of the whirlwind, the one who blazed out of the burning bush in the column of fire. He is the one who split the Red Sea. I should take a breath before I suffocate up here. (laughs) <laughs> That's who he is. That's what's laying in the manger. God's smelling like a baby. This little one who's bound and helpless, utterly defenseless, is the entire treasury of the Trinity. Jesus is the expression, the pressing out, the expression of the Father's heart, the manifestation of the Father's heart. He is the Father's heart. That is what is lying in the manger. It's the Father's heart. It's the Father's heart handed down, entrusted into the hands of humanity. Like Jesus lying in the manger, nursing at his mother's breast, is what God looks like when he's handed to men. And give it 33 years, look at the Pieta, that's what it looks like when humanity gives him back. What are you doing there, God? In this manger, what are you doing there? Anybody who's ever fallen in love knows the logic behind this madness. And it's this, that I want to give you everything. I want to give you my heart. What are you doing, though, in this manger? Because this isn't where gods are meant to be. Gods are supposed to be up there. Aren't they? Like, just ask, ask the Greeks and the Romans. They're supposed to be untouched and untroubled in Olympian Heights. They're supposed to be up there. The gods are not supposed to be so helpless, so weak, so poor, so fragile, so needy, so vulnerable, so exposed. The gods are not supposed to need us. Our warmth, our touch, our caress, our care. They're not supposed to need the milk of a mother. Glory to God in the highest, it's supposed to be, right? Glory to God in the highest. Not glory to God in the lowest. Glory to God in the manger. Glory to God in the cave. Glory to God in the dust. Glory to God in the mud. Glory to God in the cold. It's not supposed to be that way, right? But that's the madness of God's love. Glory to God, swaddled and still and hungry and cold and little. Lying in the manger, friends, is is the bridegroom. It's the bridegroom of the Old Testament who more than anything is just simply interested in dispelling all of the lies that we have come to believe, the lies that we have accrued through all of our fallen, broken experiences about who we think he is, that he's a taker, that he's cruel, that he's going to punish us, condemn us, that he's going to hurt us. He says to, you, he says to you, I've come to you. I wanted to be within your grasp. I know you couldn't come to me, and you wouldn't come to me, so I leapt down from my royal throne, from the bosom of my Father, into your hell to rescue you, to find you. He says, here I am, springing across the mountains of infinite space. Here I am, leaping across the hills of time. I no longer wish you to feel forsaken. I no longer wish your heart to feel desolate. I am here, lying in this manger to tell you your new name. Beloved, espoused. Friends, Christmas is this incredible proclamation of the great romance that heaven is interested in you. You. You with all of your junk and all your baggage and all your excuses and all your running and hiding in masks and all the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He's interested in you. And all of us, the 70, 80, 90 million people in this country who are going to tune in to watch these Hallmark movies, going through box of tissue after box of tissue, are we not all crying out from the depths of our heart looking for the same thing, which is love me, need me, want me, see me, know me, choose me. Is that not in all of our hearts? It's such a vulnerable, tender place. Yes, in all of our hearts, men's hearts, women's hearts, our hearts are all crying out the same thing. Love me. Somebody love me. Somebody need me. Choose me. Want me. Delight in me. It's a cry for love that almost makes us embarrassed because it's so big and it just seems like there's no way you could have a corresponding response I want a love that's bigger than the universe. What if, though, what if that love wrapped himself inside the most unexpected and placed himself within our grasp, within our reach? What if the infinite one became finite? What if the heart that is heaven placed itself on earth and offered itself to you tonight? And all you have to do is this. This is it. It's that simple. Because he's that good. The infant God, the infinite God, the bridegroom, the one your heart is searching for in all of your restlessness and all your searching, he comes to you tonight again, hidden just like he was that first Christmas, vulnerable just like he was that first Christmas. Needy, just like he was that first Christmas. And he comes to tell you, I love you. I need you. I want you. I see you. I know you. And I've chosen you. Just open yourself. And that's it. And that's why we sing joy to the world. That's why our hearts rejoice. Because it is that simple.